welcome if you're at home watching online. It's great to have you with us as we do Church Without Walls. Church is not a meeting, is it? It's not a building. Not 10 o'clock on Sunday. Church is where people gather with Jesus in their midst. And, and so we just want to acknowledge the rest of our church family that are watching online. As I was saying, I was reading something just around this yielding and surrendering recently in a devotional, some teaching. Uh, and um, the, the, the author wrote it this way. I'm not going to be able to quote it word for word, but I hope you get the message. You know, all of creation, um, the heavens are filled with angels and, and as God is creating the, the, the idea of human and he's creating the human soul inside of mankind as he forms the dust in his breath to make man and he forms the soul of man and he, he creates the heart, the center of the soul, the emotion, the connection point, and he puts a door on that heart. But he puts the handle on the inside of the door. And all of the angels gasp. And they're saying, what are you doing? You're sovereign, you're Lord over all. Here you are. Submitting your sovereignty to the will of the one who owns this heart. It's God's design that we would yield to him. And I pray today through whatever aspect of this morning that you spend with us here over fellowship or online watching this that you'd open the door of your heart to allow the Lord to come in to do what he desires to do with you today. Hey, so well, we're, uh, we're continuing the series Church Without Walls, and uh, uh, what I did last week was I, I ended up, we were in Acts chapter 1, so you can turn there um, for today. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and uh, the whole point of Acts chapter 1, uh, which is why it's so relevant to um, the church is that it's about the church becoming stronger. And so today's message I've titled, you can see it on the screen there, Your Best Preparation. And the message from last week was called Preparation for Power. And we'll see that again today. So there's really one key point last week and this week, same thing. And I'm just looking at it two different ways. Last week's message was, was Preparation for Power. You can grab that via our app. I just had a little bit of a tuition session this morning with someone, and they now can access all our audio messages on our church app on their phone. If you don't have one of those phones, then um, come and see us, and we'll help you find the messages another way. Uh, they're usually on YouTube and Facebook as well as. Uh, so this week's message is your preparation. And Acts chapter 1, as I've said before, is it's about the, the church gaining strength. And so last week we looked at our verses from about verse 3 uh, through to verse 10. Um, and, and this whole idea that Jesus, before he ascended into the heavens, that Jesus was instructing and leading his followers in the way that they should live. And we don't read it. There's not really much account of the 40 days that Jesus spent with his followers. He would, it would seem that he came and went. You know, in Luke, we read, all of a sudden, Jesus appeared in their midst in a closed room. He didn't come through the door. He just appeared. You know, and that's one encounter where he, he held out his hands and showed them the scars, the nail holes, and he, he showed them the wound in his side, and, and yet he ate a meal with them. 
He was fully human, resurrected by God. And this period that Jesus was with them is, uh, is, is finishing here in Acts chapter 1. And as, as he gives the last instruction to his followers, he says, wait, wait here. That's in verse 8. You shall receive power. And the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so the church is gaining strength. And this week, I really just want to look at one verse. One verse, Acts chapter 1. Verse 14, the context of this verse is that it's after Jesus has ascended to heaven. So Jesus was with his friends for 40 days. He then teaches them things pertaining to the kingdom of God, which would be good for us to learn. And then he promises them something, and then he goes away. Now, he already told them this. I read it um, in my quiet time this morning. You can look it up in John chapter 14. That's Jesus' discourse with his followers about um, him being the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to the Father except through him. And, and that he must go away, but he will send a, a guide, a counselor, a paraclete. The Holy Spirit will come. So that's the context. And these guys, um, um, the, the disciples, there's 11 of them still at this stage because Judas is gone. And, uh, and then we read also that there's women and there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her friends. And then there's the brothers of Jesus. And, and so they're in this place. And it says in verse 14, you can see it on the screen there. These all continued with one accord to prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what I want to do is actually, to keep it even shorter, I'm only going to focus on the first line. There's 10 words, 10 words, I just want to unpack a few things for us today as the church because it's about us being prepared. And so today is what is your best preparation and we find it in these 10 words. So I've been having a little bit of a look at the Greek dictionary this week. If you uh, saw my Facebook post, if you follow me on Facebook, I was, I was up to my eyeballs in dictionaries and it was actually quite enjoyable. It's a good way to sometimes to read the Bible. And like I said to you last week, sometimes it's good to read for revelation. Sometimes it's good to read for relationship. Well, for me, I find both those two merge together. As I study God's word, it's one of the ways I worship God. It's not that way for everybody, but I was having a happy little party myself at home uh, doing this this week. So where? Look, you can see it un underlined on the screen. These all. These all. So who, what is, what is the meaning of the word? We know who the these all are. It's, it's uh, the friends of Jesus, his disciples. It's um, his mother and her friends. And it's the brothers of Jesus. These all refers to those specific people. But what's the meaning behind that? So underneath, you can see I've just tried to capture the essence of what Luke, who writes this, is meaning. And how can it, because what we want to know is how does it apply to us? And so we read there that this phrase, and I'm not going to quote the Greek this morning, so that's not part of the lesson. But what it refers to is individually they were gathered, but collectively. There's this picture that, that's created through beautiful language that English doesn't really capture or it's not translated. When you translate it for word for word, you don't always get the meaning. But what they're meaning is these ones came together as individuals, but they came together for the purpose of being collectively together. And we'll see their action is prayer and supplication. So they were doing things, they were doing the prayer and supplication. What they were doing, they were doing as individuals, but what they were doing, they were doing together as a collective. 
And I just I wanted to start with that because it's such a beautiful um, imagery it creates for me of what the body of Christ should be, what the church without walls should be. Whether we're meeting in this building as a corporate gathering, whether you're having a connect group in your home or in the park and you're gathered around God's word or you're, you're just praying for one another, that's church, these all, individually and collectively. And so what it, what it also implies in the word there, you can see the definition says the whole, it means they were all participating. They were all doing it. And when I first started this Church Without Wall series in December, building up to the summer break, I shared a quote with you. You may or may not remember it. It's in the first message. A quote from a book where a guy wrote this book, uh, Peterson wrote the book, and he said, look, church has become a spectator sport where people come and watch someone else do it for them. This goes against that thought. This says, no, no, we all, the whole, we all come together to do this together. So maybe me asking for volunteers to pray is just a bit of a start for that. Let's look at the next one, continued. Now, there's a, there's a long list of definition from the, from the dictionary here, but what I loved about this was it, it conveyed a journey, it conveyed perseverance, it conveyed persistence, but more than that, look at the last line on the screen, it shows oneself to be courageous. I didn't expect to see that there. I mean, all they're doing is getting together, having a cup of tea and praying. Why do you have to be courageous? Well, remember, they were being persecuted. Their leader, Jesus Christ, had just been killed. They were going against culture. You know what? It takes courage to go against culture. And I love the way Henri prayed for the young people of our nation. He acknowledged that there's a leading away from Christ. Essentially, not his words, but he was saying, look, young ones are getting led away from Christ, and we pray that they would be drawn back. Why does that happen? Because it takes courage to stay faithful. And when you're young and you're trying to discover who you are and you want to be accepted and you don't want to be rejected, sometimes you waver. You're not as courageous as you could be. To be together, to come together, it's courageous to go against the pressures of society. Oh, but you know, everyone's doing this and everyone's doing that. It'd be great to go and do this. I'm like, yeah, it would be. But don't neglect coming together. But the purpose of fellowship and worship and prayer and honouring God in our midst. Continuing. To give unremitting care to a thing. What I, what, as I was reading these um, this morning, steadfastly attentive to, unremitting care to, to persevere and to show courageous, that's pointing to something. And I want to, I want to reveal what that is as part of this message. But the point is, let us not grow weary in doing what we do. And we'll find out what that is. And then this phrase. To be honest with you, this is the phrase that captured my attention several weeks ago that I knew I was going to center this message around. The phrase, with one accord. And you might want to take a photo of that screen. I'll make sure it's um, up on the, on the Facebook. But all those scriptures down there, I'm going to have a look at in a minute, they all use the same phrase. It was something that Luke was trying to convey through the writing that there was a way the church did life together. And the best English that the translators came up with was with one accord. You can see a definition there. It means with one passion and one mind. It's a combination of two Greek words, which I'm not going to say, 
But the two words mean to rush along in unison. And there's a beautiful imagery that the, that the commentators and the dictionaries all referenced, and that was of a symphony. Picture, if you will. How many of you, put your hand up if you learn music and th- music theory any time in your life. Put your hand up high. Put your hand up high. Music theory. So if I said that there was a whole lot of music on a piece of paper with notes going around, you know what I'm talking about. Just nod. Kathy doesn't. She never learned music. But you know what I mean. So there is a whole lot of music, an instrument or a vocalist is rushing along, hitting those notes. But in a symphony, there's more than one line on the paper, isn't there? And all those are played together. So if you think about a a choir or a quartet, let's just say a quartet, you've maybe got three different, four different stringed instruments all playing different pieces of music, but they're rushing along in unison, and the end result is something beautiful. That's the word picture that's created with this phrase, with one accord. Everyone doing what they're they've practiced to do, everyone doing what they're gifted to do, everyone playing the instrument that they were designed to play or to bring the gift of the contribution of themselves to the greater good as God prepared them to. But not in isolation. If, if we had a, a band here and, and um, we just got Phil Brown to play the bass guitar line for that song that we just sung, it would be look good. He would do it well, but it would be really hard to sing to. Because it's not designed to be done in isolation. It's to be done with one accord with the rest of the band and everyone playing their part, rushing along in unison. And that's the way we're designed to live. It's the way we're designed to fellowship. It's the way we're designed to do life together. And in particular, in the context of these ten words, there's something that they were doing with one accord. And it is prayer. They were gathered together in prayer. Now when you look at the definition of this word, it's really important to understand that you grasp what Luke and the early disciples meant when they said they prayed. Phil read the scripture earlier and I'll reference it, Acts chapter 4. Peter and, um, who who was the other one that got arrested on Acts chapter 4? Was it John? I could probably just turn the page and have a look. When they were preaching and they got arrested, And then they were all praying back at home and then they got released and they came in and they celebrated. Praise to God because he has has done great and mighty things. They were praying, but they were praying in line with this definition. It was conversation directed toward God alone. And there's a meaning in the Greek language that I discovered this week in my studies that meant to call it prayer meant that you had removed all other distractions And the sacred object of your action was God and God alone. How many of us could say our prayer times look like that? I can't. I'm not a scatterbrain. But this is what they meant when they said they were together in unison, but they were focused on prayer. It was to God and God alone. He was the sacred object of their attention when they prayed. I just found that really fascinating that, you know, we would come together for prayer and sometimes we bring our agenda with us or we bring our filter with us or we bring our concerns with us and sometimes we make prayer more about us than God. I've said this before, we must never ever make our obstacle or the problem 
the object of our worship because those things that you empower shape your life. doesn't matter how big your problem is, God's bigger. And so prayer puts the context of your obstacle in relation to God himself. God is Lord of the prayer. Just a really interesting, maybe you can think about that this week. What's my prayer look like and is God the hero of my prayer? Interesting. With regards to this verse, not all translations include prayer and supplication. So my NLT Bible that I have also for reading, uh, does, it just says they gather together in, in, in unison in prayer. And I checked a few other translations and they also omitted the word supplication. And I was like, oh, because they're trying to get together the point is that they're praying. But, but I purposely included it from this translation because I wanted you to see this. The intention of them gathering together was them coming together to direct their attention to God, but here's what they were doing. Because I did not want to deny you the opportunity to bring your heartfelt needs before God. That is not what I'm saying. I am not saying that prayer is not allowed to cry out to God. Please don't hear me say that. Because look at this. Supplication is like an entreaty. It's an appeal. It's a request. It's a, it's a cry from your heart. You I mean, read some of the Psalms which are the prayers of David, and hear the cry of his heart. You know, he's like, Lord, these ones persecute me. They accuse me. They tear my flesh from my bones. And, and you can hear him just desiring God to rescue him. Read the, read the prophetic books. Read Jeremiah or Isaiah as the just lamenting before God at the people of God who have been desecrated into slavery. There's an entreaty, an appeal, a request, a cry from the heart. And the reason I wanted to include supplication in the description of what the early church was doing, because it gives prominence to the expression of a personal need, but more than that, watch this. What it actually does is it represents our prayer as a heartfelt conversation with God as a child would be to a father, and that's the key. We're not coming before God afraid. We're not coming for God begging like a slave. We come before God as his son or his daughter. We come before God you know, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the authority that he carries, which he gave to us, that doesn't make us God, doesn't make us equal with God, but it brings us before God in a completely different posture when we come before God in a heartfelt conversation with God as in a child to a father. That's what supplication is. And that's what these ones were doing. The apostles, early disciples, mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, her friends, and the brothers of Jesus were coming together. They were persevering. They were continuing to pray and to petition, to plead, plead before God with heartfelt expression before their father. I suppose the question is, Why? Why, why, why would they do that? What, what on earth is that about? I mean, like, for, for some of these men, they would have um, lost their jobs. You know, because the persecution of the followers of Jesus Christ was so severe that people were kicked out, they had lost their jobs, they couldn't function. Or in these cases, you know, like Peter, he had given up the family business. He'd walked away three years ago, fully sold out to Jesus Christ and his mission. 
So why are these guys and their friends and, and the women gathered in prayer and joyful union as they rush along, focused on God? And what I'm proposing to you, quite simply, is that this was their best preparation, and I'm proposing to you today that it's your best preparation. As we talked about last week, there was a coming together for something good. One commentator wrote it this way, and I loved what he said, prayer was the finest preparation for the gift they were expecting. Are you expecting God to do something? I am. I really am. In fact, I'm dependent on it. God doesn't come through. I'm stuffed. It's what God's promised I can't do. And the coming together is the best preparation. It's the finest preparation, this man writes, for the gift they were expecting. And I want to point you to that because there's no secret. We talked about it last week. Jesus himself said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, being assembled together with them. So this is before Jesus left. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. So they got together. They were diligent, committed, devoted, unwavering, courageously pursuing Prayer, dedication before God, petitioning God, entreaty and, 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 and um, uh, crying out like a child would to a father for the promise that Jesus said they would receive. And that promise was the Holy Spirit would come in power. My goodness. Don't we need that? I mean, the Holy Spirit's come. Pentecost, I'm not saying he's disappeared. But don't we need the ongoing, infilling, dwelling presence of God in our lives to deal with just life? There are promises that God has in our family. There are promises that God has in this church that I will not see fulfilled unless God does something miraculous. And for us to see supernatural outcomes, we have to do the natural and let him do the super. So the natural is, the finest preparation we could do would be to come in together in joyful union and unison, dedicating ourselves, petitioning the Father for the gift that Jesus promised us. It's the best thing we could do. It's the absolute best thing we could do. What does that look like? What does your best preparation look like? It looks like prayer with others. I mean, that's what they were doing in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Those all continued... In one accord with prayer and supplication. And I'm suggesting to you that's what we should do. I mean, it worked for the church in Acts chapter 1. And, and if you read the beginning of Acts chapter 2, which is uh, here, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. There's that phrase again. They were gathered together. And the promise, culmination of God's promise and his timing, along with his grace and power, birthed the new church in the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day that we now recognize as Pentecost. It's part of the festival. 
But more than that, just let, let's not rush over these verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. See, church happens in more than one place. These guys were together often. In Acts chapter 4, we referenced that before. Um, Acts chapter 5, it says they continued in one accord. And then Acts 15 is the council in Jerusalem where there was a whole lot of confusion because some, some of the followers wanted to bring back a circumcision and a whole lot of other rituals and, and, and they had to get together and discuss it. But the point is they discussed it in unison in prayer in one accord with one heart, one mind, one passion. That's what life as the body of Christ looks like. And I'm proposing that that's the best preparation we could do in preparing ourselves for what God has promised us. In your personal life, it could be that God's promised you provision. You've got some big needs coming up, and you're like, well, Lord, I need you to come through. It could be that you've got family members that are unwell or unsaved or not walking in the fullness of life with God, and you're saying, God, I need you to come through. And you feel that he's promised there will be a turnaround in that situation. What's the best preparation you could do? Prayer with others. What if you're uncertain about where your next step is in the season of life? What if you're not sure about how to get through some obstacles or some challenges or some chaos or some unsettling times? What's the best preparation you could do? Prayer with others. In one accord, prayer and supplication before the Father. So, what I'm doing is I'm bringing back, relaunching, prayer meetings. Last year in lockdown, remember lockdown 1.0? It's almost a year ago. Next month, it will be one year since we went into level four the first time. Hasn't the world changed? But what we did as a church during lockdown 1.0 is we gathered every morning and every night for prayer online. And we did it for the eight weeks of lockdown 1.0, and then we started to spread it out a bit. We use something called Zoom, which is on a computer or a phone, which may challenge some of you, but I don't want to exclude anyone, so I want to help you if you want to participate. Last year, we continued that prayer right up to my Christmas break, praying three, four times a week, gathered together. Even though we weren't in the same house, we're praying through scripture and praying through what God asked to pray through. There was unison. And we want to start that again. So there are three prayer meetings every week that you could, if you wanted to, be part of. And if you would like to be part of it, I would like to help you to be part of it. So please don't think that there's a barrier to your participation. The three times are up on the screen there. We're going to dial together so you just install an app and Phone up. Tom can do it. Look, he's, he's an old fella. He does it. So it's not that hard. Monday nights at 7 p.m., just for one hour, unless, of course, we go longer. But normally it's an hour. And we pray together, and I facilitate it. It's on the, you're on the screen, and everyone can hear each other. And if you have a, have a meltdown, then I mute you. But um, normally we participate together in prayer. So we're going to do that Monday nights. 7 o'clock. And we're also offering Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Because some people, 7 p.m. at night, they're still working or 
They're in the bath. So we've got to choose another time. So Thursday mornings at 7, just for an hour, Richard dials in from his truck on the way to work. And he has hands-free, of course, with the utmost of safety, following the law, but participating in prayer. Some people dial in and they don't even pray. They just listen. But that's fine. They can participate that way as well. And then thirdly, um, I figure that most of you are coming to church on Sunday morning, so you could be here a little early and we'll have a prayer meeting in the building, in person, in the flesh, here at 9 o'clock on Sundays. We already gather for prayer, but I just I figure, well, why not invite more people? And you might say, well, you know what, every now and then we're just going to come an hour early, we're going to join the prayer meeting, we're going to participate, we're going to be part of the unity of prayer as we wait in expectation for God's promises. So again, please, I do not want anyone to feel excluded. If you look at that and go, oh my goodness, how do I do Zoom? Come and ask. I'll show you. I'll get some, maybe someone young to show you. Help set it up for you. It's not difficult. Hey, Tom. And, and if you wanted to come here, um, if these times don't work for you and you go, you know what, I really want to do prayer, can I start my own prayer meeting? What do you think I'm going to say to that? Of, of course you can. Go for it. Okay? We're two or three. Jesus, what did Jesus say? We're two or three are gathered. Come on. What does it say? That's right. I am there among you. So a pre-meeting is you, one other, and Jesus turns up. Okay, so please, I think the way that we're going to see the church grow stronger as we walk towards the promises of God is us coming together in prayer. We're going to have a standard format for that, but if you wanted to do some extracurricular prayer, that's totally okay with me. You want to come and have a coffee with me one day and have prayer time with me? Come on, I'm all for it. I think we need to pray. Are we all good? Okay, we're going to close the meeting. I'm going to pray for us, and then um, coffee's on us. So please hang around, catch up with some people. If you have questions about what I've just spoken about, come and see me. If you have prayer needs, if you came to church and you wanted to connect and pray with someone, please also come up here, and if I'm busy, I'll find someone to pray with you. It's great to support you as you do the journey in life. Um, let's close with prayer. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I honour the written word of God as the living word of God that brings life, the dynamic life that God designed for us. Today I pray by your Holy Spirit you would take my words and you would help them to find a home. Lord, that you would translate anything that needs to be translated, that your truth would prevail. Your truth would change us. Your truth would bind us together in unity and prayer. And Lord, that as we pray, it would be the finest preparation we could do for the expectation of the promise you've given each one of us. Lord, I bless this church family. I bless them with the love of God who is our Father in heaven. I bless them with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, God with us, each one in our hearts. And Lord, I also bless them with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that knows no end, grace upon grace. 
all sufficiency in all circumstances in each one of our lives as we surrender to you. We commit all these things in prayer in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen.